Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to an art appreciation edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Saturday's game against Tennessee perfectly answered the question, what is this Alabama team? Eight weeks into the season and heading into a deserved bye week, we finally have our answer. Alabama, this Alabama team, is an ambiguous image. Now, I do really wish there was a cooler name for it, but I don't get to name forms of art, and that really is the legit name. An ambiguous image is a picture that can be correctly viewed as two different images. We've all seen these. Is it a fair maiden or a grotesque witch? Yes. Is it two faces looking at one another or is it a candle holder? Yes. The oldest known version of such an image, and look, you just can't make this stuff up, was published 129 years to the day of Saturday's game. October 23rd, 1892. As compared to yesterday, October 23rd, 2021. Like, seriously, you can't make that up. And uh, that image, you've probably seen this one too, is it the rabbit or duck image was published originally, again, October 23rd, 1892, 129 years to the day in a German humor, humor magazine, which itself seems a contrast in terms. So how does this work? This ambiguous image thing, Alabama football, how does how does this work? Where are we going with this? Well, is this Alabama team capable of dismantling all comers from the state of Mississippi? Or is this an Alabama team capable of losing to an institution that hasn't yet integrated women into its cheer squad? Yes. Is this team capable of devastation on the scale of 32 first downs earned to 10 allowed? 75% third down conversion rate in a plus 40 minute time of possession. 
while also three times giving up uncovered touchdowns and allowing a vastly undermanned team to play within a single score into the fourth quarter. Yep, we're those guys too. Is this Alabama team capable of an upper seed playoff berth? Or is this the team that may still drop two games before National Repeal Day? Yep, that's us too. Well, if Dorfman was right and being fat, drunk, and stupid was no way to go through life, then surely recognizing your favorite college football team is a work of ambiguous art, albeit museum quality. It's no way to go through the bye week. So with that in mind, we're going to follow Saban's lead. Mostly, we won't beat up the team. Mostly, we won't beat up the game. We'll strive to find the fair maiden and hold on tight. Offense, try to make something of that. All right, let's jump into offense. And uh, look, I think there's uh, some fair maiden qualities, characteristics on, on the offense that, as Alabama fans, we should seek to embrace. Uh, Alabama offense Saturday against Tennessee. It did. Again, I'll repeat a couple of stats, but uh, 75% uh, third down conversion rate. And that's not three of four, that's 15 of 20. 574 total yards of offense, 371 of those passing, 203 uh, rushing, 40 minutes time of possession, plus the 40 minutes time of possession, which is just incredible. Racking up uh, 52 points and an explosive 28-point fourth quarter. We've talked about finishing games. Saban has talked about finishing games. We've seen Alabama come out a couple times this season and roll out 21 points in the first quarter. We've never seen an Alabama team roll out 28 points in the fourth quarter. That's definitely impress uh, impressive. These are not just simply winning stats. These are dominating stats. And this, this is what the Alabama team is capable for. This is the capable of, this is the image that as fans, you know, we need to focus on. And I will say, and it's a little bit to pat us on the back here at the podcast, and it's a little bit to acknowledge, hey, we are seeing trends and, and we can anticipate, uh, you know, trends from this team. What we saw here, this level of domination was somewhat predicted. We talked about it with our interview with Rocky Top Talk earlier last week, and we talked about it on the Zoom call for those on Saturday. We talked about this game will be close early and Alabama will pull away. Now, we spoke in specifically in those terms uh, on the Zoom call, less so in the interview. But what we did talk about and question on the interview is, and it's the same sort of line of thought, you know, this Tennessee team, are they going to be fatigued and are they going to sort of collapse under sort of the the weight. You know, this is week eight. They've not had a bye either. They had 101 defensive snaps against Ole Miss. And so those are the types of things that we questioned in that interview. And they confirmed, hey, this is not a deep team. And so in the Zoom call, we had a lot of confidence. They may play us close because they score a lot of points early. Alabama scores a lot of points early, but Alabama is going to step away. It was no less frustrating watching it happen, even though we predicted it. But these numbers and this level of domination very much, very much specifically called for on the Zoom call that this this uh, Tennessee defense would sort of wear itself out. And that generated, contributed to the level of dominance that we saw here. And again, this is what the Alabama team is capable of. We're talking about offensive side of the ball. This is what the Alabama offense is capable of. And this is fans is what we need to embrace. Let's talk about some of the individual performances that contributed, you know, Bryce Young again, and this is perhaps the second consecutive week that we've said and felt strongly about 
you know, he just had his best game of the season. And it's probably a homer stat, and uh, it's sort of padding uh, the stats a little bit. But this might be his third or fourth overall game of the season where we could say this is his best performance uh, at Alabama. Now, it's a misleading stat because this is his first season as a starter, and they've played eight games. And so you got to count the first game, however it goes, and then the last two. But uh, I think there's definitely three, maybe four, maybe five, where you could see incrementally this guy is getting better and better and better and better every week. And that's where we want to be as Alabama fans. We've said two weeks ago that if this is it, if this is what we get from him, we'll take it for the rest of his career. And he'll and he'll go down sort of in crimson flame. But he's continuing to progress. He's continuing to evolve. And that's, uh, that's so fun to see. Uh, he was 31 of uh, 43, 371 passing yards, which is just incredible. Two passing touchdowns. But hey, he also had 10 carries for 42 yards and two touchdowns. And even that is a little bit of a misleading stat because he had sacks behind the line of uh, line of scrimmage. And so when he rolled out and, and went to run, uh, he was very productive, moved the chain multiple times, and again, scored two touchdowns rushing the ball. What we want Bryce to be is a quarterback who runs. He seemed allergic to running early in the season, uh, almost like it was a third rail that he could not pass. And so we don't want him to just become a running quarterback. We don't want him to become, uh, I would say, revert into a Jalen Hurts quarterback where it's one read, one read and run. We want Bryce to, to stay in the pocket and demonstrate all of the skill set that he has in the pocket. But we also want him capable of running. We want, we want that in our playbook, and we want that as an option when, when plays break down, and we want defenses to have to uh, think about that. So, and I texted, uh, I texted Clint uh, uh, during the game or uh, uh, Twittered, however you Twitter someone, you know, that Bryce was, was looking like a quarterback who runs, not a running quarterback. And that's what we want. There's a distinction there. There's a subtlety there. And that's what we want Bryce to be. We want Bryce to be a quarterback who runs. We still want him to be a quarterback. That's first and foremost. But we want that running in his arsenal. He's athletic enough to do it. He's capable of doing it. He was the number one uh, quarterback rated, dual threat quarterback rated. And so we want to bring, uh, as Alabama fans, as Alabama program, we want to bring some of that to the field of play. To, uh, uh, again, opponents have to think about uh, different things. Let's move along and uh, shuffling papers here. Let's move along and talk about uh, a couple of uh, the offensive positions like we do. we got to park on Brian Robinson again. Just another outstanding day. Steady, productive, uh, just truly, and I'm, I'm weeks late in, uh, in saying this, but just a true nose for the end zone. Mark Ingram just had a nose for the end zone uh, down by the goal line. And Brian Robinson is every bit of that. He had 26 carries for 107 yards, very productive day, three touchdowns. I do have, I love Brian Robinson. So I'm going to say two things. Love Brian Robinson. I love his contribution. Big physical back. He just appears to not take BS from, from anyone, His our team, their team, whatever it is. I do wonder about the the mounting carries because he hasn't have that has hasn't had that in his career. So I'm excited for him to get a bye week and sort of rest up. I think we're going to lean on him down the stretch, and I just want to make sure that he is taken care of, that he is healthy, and uh, uh, 
we don't overextend uh, his capability. That's not me being mad at him. That's not me not wanting him to have the ball. I just think if we can keep his carries down, and what really set me off in that direction is a couple of weeks ago when he had 30, 36 carries. Uh, again, it was needed, but um, nonetheless, if we can keep uh, the, the numbers uh, a little closer to reasonable, then uh, that's what we want there. Uh, we do that a couple of different ways. Uh, Roy Dale Williams, he was eight carries for 29 yards. Uh, I'd like to see him get, again, just a couple of more carries. I uh, also like to see Rodell Williams on the outside. I like to see him on the edge. That seems to be where uh, he is more productive. He's also productive receiving catches, passes off the edge. And so I'd like to see that uh, more incorporated into the game. I know that he has to run the ball up the middle to keep the defenses honest, but uh, I, nonetheless, I would still uh, like to see him more threatened off the edges. And uh, Trey Sanders, glad to see him in the game, getting some carries. He had three from three for 19 with a long of 11. So whatever is sort of allowing him to improve and get better and contribute, I want to see more and more of that. Uh, again, I'm not mad at any of these guys individual. I would just, individually, I'd just like to see uh, some of the youngsters uh, get a few more carries, share the load a little bit, develop the youngsters a little bit, and again, safeguarding, safeguarding for injury a little bit there. Uh, wide receivers, Alabama had two, not one, but two wide receivers that uh, broke the century mark, which is absolutely incredible. And they've sort of lived up to sort of the nicknames that we've given them, or at least the the way that we think about them. Uh, Mechie is just sort of the what do we call him? Just the the dangerous workman. He had eleven catches for a buck twenty one. He also had two uh, touchdowns. He had a lot of really short yardage, uh, short yard catches. I think he also had uh, a, a short run there as well. He's he's very dangerous and effective, and uh, can can certainly be explosive. And then Jamison Williams. Truly is the explosive back. He had six carries or six touches, rather. So right at half uh, for a buck twenty-three, and so two-yard differential, uh, seven or five um, touch uh, differential. Now, Jamison dropped multiple catches, uh, and really would like to see him tighten that up. He also had a fumble, and so there's a part of me that says he's a real explosive guy. He's a fast guy, and there's a looseness to his play. And you can see it in his personality. And that's not a bad thing. He, he plays with uh, frenetic, a lot of energy and a lot of passion in his play. And so he plays loose, but I think that can manifest itself in some of his techniques. And so the way he carries the ball when he's, when he's running in traffic, I'd like to see him tighten that up a little bit. That potentially could have prevented a, a turnover, uh, prevented the fumble. And it's less about, I don't want the opponent to have the ball, but it's more about Alabama possessing the ball because, hey, we're moving the chains there. We do have an effective offense. Hey, you know, even if we just punt it back and forth or they punt it back to us, we'd rather keep this possession going with this place in the field and uh, p- potentially see if we can put up points. And I think we could have. So again, he, he did his biggest catch of the day, probably should have been a touchdown. Uh, he had to hold up just a little bit. And uh, that allowed the defenders to, to come back and get him. And they sh- still just barely got him grabbing his shirt and tugging him down. But, uh, yeah, a little bit of air under the ball, I think, that would have been a touchdown. But I'll take a 50, 50 what is it, 50, 55-yard completion. I'll take that every day. It doesn't have to score uh, if we can move the change uh, that significantly. But when you talk about areas for improvement, uh, I would say that certainly is one. Good to see Cameron Latou get off the snide. Uh, he had three catches for 55 I, I just enjoy watching him catch the ball and rumble, and he's effective near the goal line. So uh, I look forward to more of that. Uh, Billingsley, 
uh, had a single catch for eight, and uh, he had a couple of drops too. So I, I really would like to see them work with the jugs machine. Not that I'm going to see it, but I'd like to like, can we report over that? Can media ask these these kinds of questions? Because I think they're they're playing well, they're getting open, they're doing everything except for just completing the completion, and uh, that's exactly. That's exactly what they need. They're both dangerous weapons, and so um, like to see a little bit more consistency out of their play. Early in the season, we had it. I'd like to kind of get back to that. Uh, there was also a moment where nearly on consecutive plays, uh, Billingsley and Latou both went out with injury, and uh, I literally said, "What the what the heck's going on here?" You know, sort of a, a cluster uh, of injuries at a single position. What would we do next if if they both, uh, even if they just had to miss? a series, two series, three series, a quarter of the game, the season, how, how would we sort of, you know, what would that turn into? And I don't, and I don't like some of the answers to those questions. So I was very glad to see them both uh, be able to come out and uh, come back into the game. And in fact, when Latou went out, uh, he was, he was the second one to go out with injury. When he went out, Billingsley actually came back into the game. And so that was a little bit of a sigh of relief. Cameron Latou seemed to, whatever it was, uh, seemed to sort of walk it off, shake it off. And on the sideline, he looked like he was ready. He was going to go back in, and indeed he did. So so that's certainly good. These guys are weapons, not only in the running game, not only uh, as receivers. They're very, very versatile, and uh, we definitely like what they are contributing to the team. They also support the blocking, uh, the offensive line. And speaking of offensive line, look, I'm going to be honest, the offensive line struggled with uh, stunts, uh, mostly up the middle. Uh, I think Chris Owens maybe had uh, maybe had his best day of the season. I think there's a lot of work that still needs to be done across the offensive line, and I would still say if 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 I could level up, you know, put an extra uh, coin in the machine and level up the skill set of an individual unit, then it would be the offensive line. But I think even with the deficiencies, I think this might have been the best offensive line as a unit performance. Is it the best individual performance by every individual player? I don't know that I go that far, but as a unit, I thought the offensive line played well. Not great, not awesome, but we've seen them play horrible. And so as a unit, it just felt like they played better as a unit. And so I want to interpret that for progress. I'm looking for scraps of progress. I'm the hungry dog circling the dinner table. Did somebody please drop something and uh, when it comes to offensive line, that's what I'm doing. And so if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But my sense is they just play better as a unit. So I'd like to hear what people think about that. Offensive play calling, look, it's it's hard to get upset about offensive play calling when they put when the offense put up the production that they did. And, and that's true. There were moments during the game I, as well. I mean, if you follow Twitter, there are moments, moments in the game where we fired everybody, and I don't think that's appropriate. And so I want to balance my commentary. But there were points in the game where it felt like this defense is going to wear out. Let's run the ball here, and, this, and let's make that happen. I know we want to go sideline to sideline, and that contributes, and I know we want to stretch the field, and that contributes. But what we're really looking to do is wear out the front seven. And so let's run it. Let's start this. Let's bring in a couple of backs and let's give everyone some carries and and let's invest into just pushing them off the ledge, you know, right here on this possession. And it felt like instead of that, that we were we were trying to take the kill shot. We kept trying to throw the ball down the field, throw the ball down the field, throw the ball down the field. And there was a time 
and and I and I hear it even as I say it uh, out loud. There was a time, you know, where Gene Stallings was the coach, and we said just throw it down the field just to you know keep the defense honest because they're they're stacking the box and this is this isn't working. And so I understand you know both sides of the conversation, and, and again. I think both both are appropriate, both are true. But there was a moment just in the game where I felt like we need to run the ball here. We need to take some air out of the ball, some air out of the clock, and we need to push that defense sort of over the ledge because we kept incomplete pass, incomplete pass, and then we hit, you know, a 50-yard pass. And it's like, well, you know, the kill shot's still good, right? When, when the kill shot hits, you know, by its very nature, it works. So, I'm not trying to look for something to be disappointed about. I'm really, really not. But I just, you know, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, other fans, right? I, I, I want to see us be, I want us to take advantage of what the opponent has given us. And when the opponent is about to topple over, then let's go for uh, the knockout punch. And that doesn't have to mean a 60-yard touchdown. That may mean let's run the ball until they have to go to their reserves and, and then we can just continue to, to beat them up. And, and I would have liked to have seen us, like, physically at that point in time, beat them up, not just outrun them down the field. So hopefully that makes sense. Oh, mini game ball. What's my mini game ball? I'll be honest, uh, I don't know if this is offense or defense, but my mini game ball is going to the guy who found my boot. So thank you for that. Contact me, and uh, we'll figure out how we pick that up. All right, let's flip the field for uh, defense. Defense, it's, you know, it's more of the same. There's a lot of domination. There's a lot of dominant performance uh, across the defense. We held, we talked about what Alabama earned on offense from on a defensive perspective. We held uh, Tennessee to two of 12 on third down conversions. That's amazing. We allowed Tennessee only 19 minutes, 19 and a half minutes time of possession. That's just incredible. Uh, we allowed Tennessee only 64 yards rushing. This is a team that has been averaging more than 200 uh, yards rushing a game. Uh, very impressive. We held or shut out Tennessee in the second quarter and held Tennessee to only three points in the third quarter. So a full half of the game uh, only allowed three points uh, to the opponent. During that stretch, the second quarter to the third quarter, Tennessee had zero first downs allowed. That's six possessions, three points during that stretch, no first downs uh, allowed. That is that is dominant. Analytics was right. Sweet dreams are made of these. And this was with their starting quarterback. This is Hendon uh, Hooker, who there was thought that he would not be able to play. And so this is this was with their starter, who I thought Hendon, uh, for the most part, played, played very, very well. Uh, he struck me as – an athletic guy that doesn't look as athletic as he really is. He looked like sort of the old man at the Y. How is he? How is he playing with his youngsters? How is he? Uh, is is he winning his matchups when he doesn't look any more athletic than he than he is or uh, or was? And Hendon, for me, sort of fell in that category. But he was productive. Uh, that's a Tennessee. That's a quarterback. Uh, I think Tennessee only gets him for the season, but uh, uh, he's a quarterback that they can have and are having success with this season. But the fact that Alabama did what Alabama did against uh, Tennessee, uh, again, a dominant performance. Now, some of those stats mask that. Think about the time of possession. It masks the fact that Tennessee scored all of their points, all 24 points. They scored those points in a total 
of five minutes and 22 seconds time of possession. And so that's an interesting uh, stat. Now, what contributed to that is three blown coverages, and they scored uh, at least 10 of the points in under a minute time of possession. So <laughs> really impressive how they were able to score quickly. But it's is it is it impressive or is it Alabama defense? And I think it's Alabama defense, and I think we all know this. We saw the game. Alabama or Tennessee rather scored 24 points on three blown coverages and then one uh, field goal they scored actually on a spectacular defensive stand following a blocked punt. Tennessee scored uh, a field goal. The ball was heard over on the 16. They kicked from the 16 and uh, kicked a field goal. Typically, that's an automatic touchdown. So I thought that was um, very, very impressive. But the three blown coverages, let's let's talk about that because that's bad. And uh, let's dissect it a little bit so that uh, we can enjoy our bye week uh, a little bit better. So the first touchdown uh, was on an eight-play drive. So let's give a little bit of credit to Tennessee. Tennessee, um, Alabama has been proficient in outscoring opponents in the first quarter. I think the only team in the country that was more uh, proficient at scoring against their opponent and outscoring their opponent in the first quarter was Tennessee. So we know that it's a matchup of wills in the first quarter, that there's going to be uh, that there's going to be points scored. It's the nature of it. And so the fact that they had an eight-play drive uh, that resulted in a, in a touchdown in the first quarter, saw that coming. On the Zoom call, we said it's it's going to be 7-7 seven to seven or 10-10 ten to 10 coming out of the first quarter because that's just, you know, that's going to set the tone for the rest of the game. And guess what? It did. But um, there's a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, the touchdown play. And so we give credit for Tennessee for driving the field. This was their longest score. It was an eight-play drive. Uh, it was their longest uh, possession uh, of any of their uh, scoring scoring drives. So it wasn't the longest play. It came as the result of a, of, of a drive. And what was frustrating from an Alabama perspective is that, um, and, and I noticed this during the game, and I'd read about it during the week leading up to the game, that Heifel's approach for his wide receivers, he likes to spread the field. So the linemen have a little bit uh, wider separation. And the outside receivers are closer to, they line up more close, uh, more closely to the sidelines. And so it stretches, everything sort of stretches out. Now, to me, that takes out some of the outside cutting routes. I don't know why you do that. Uh, but again, it works for them. Uh, and interestingly enough, with the wide receiver, and this would have been on Tennessee's left, Alabama's defensive right, on the touchdown play, the, the cornerback played outside leverage with a wide receiver that's lining up extra, extra, an extra yard or two to the outside. And so what that means is however wide out the wide receiver is, the defensive back is lined up even further outside, closer to the, uh, closer to the sideline. I saw some plays with Tennessee that if you truly wanted to play outside leverage against the, the, the wide receiver, you'd have to line up on the sideline. That's how far out of bounds uh, they were. So in a goal line, in a more compressed field situation, to line up outside of a wide receiver that's, that's lined up outside, that's lined up extra wide, uh, that just seems like poor technique, uh, especially when you have a single high safety. And so not only are you playing them outside, but they're further wide outside. And so when they cut outside, or should I say when they did cut inside a uh, slant, it's such an advantage. And when you're in a single high safety, uh, it's hard for the safety to get over and make the play. They didn't make the play. It was a touchdown. If the if the re If the defensive back plays inside coverage, which is really just lining up, inside of uh, inside of the 
of the receiver, then you almost provide your own safety backstop or over the top protection because you're inside. If the receiver is going to cut inside, then they have to cross your face. And so you're already uh, in position to make the play. So although that was a poor technique, uh, would we like to have had a safety come over? Sure. Absolutely. But I think if the technique from the, if the corner had been more inside leverage, then, um, which is a simple thing, and especially against a team that lines up wide, it, you would think that inside coverage, inside coverage, inside coverage is what we're doing this week. We're not doing outside leverage. We're doing inside leverage against everything that they line up out wide. And so that, to me, just feels like an individually a singular miss uh, by a defensive back. That's not me piling on to the defensive back necessarily uh, as much as it is, hey, let's wrap some context around this play. That's not a fire Pete Golden play. That's a somebody lined up in the wrong place because, like, this is pretty simple uh, how that alignment uh, should have been. And did you, did you coach it all week to do it right? Of course you did. But the player just reverted to a habit. And uh, with outside leverage, and Alabama does play a lot of outside leverage with two high safeties. So I think that's what uh, that's what you've got there. Uh, the second touchdown uh, battle was just in the box. Uh, he was a single high safety again, uh, and he lined up in the box. You're going to get that against Tennessee. This is the staple of what Tennessee's offense does. Uh, they run, they run, they run, they suck up, and they uh, they suck the defense up, and and they play a form of play action. What's interesting is they it's a it's more of a it's more of a modern day offense, but but the philosophy of it uh, is more like old school. They run the ball a lot and then they play action from it. Now, what they do is a little more RPO based and maybe a, a play action. But nonetheless, the philosophy is the same. We're going to run to set up the pass. Uh, you're going to run to pull in the defense so we can throw it over their head. And guess what? Textbook. That's what happened uh, on the long 50 uh, some yard uh, touchdown. Battle came into the box. They threw it over his head. Where Battle should have been in coverage is exactly where they threw the, uh, threw the ball. So if Battle had been five, six, eight yards back, he would have seen the play coming to him. You get so close to the line of scrimmage, your peripheral vision, you're, you, you're not able to take in as much. You you line up six yards back, your peripheral, the receivers on the edge coming at you, you see them more, and then you react on the play. They go, they go somewhere else with the ball. They certainly don't score a 55-yard touchdown, whatever the yardage was. And so that's what happened there. I think that's something you can clearly coach out of a, of a player not to make that mistake again. You, you do have a fill. Uh, you do have a run fill. You do have a responsibility there. But your responsibility as the safety, your number one responsibility is not to get the ball thrown over your head. And so I think um, uh, I think there's some coaching there that uh, that can go into that. Uh, and just communication to sort of keep uh, uh, keep that, that thought process alive during the game. And then the third touchdown, Josh Job was just caught napping. Uh, I'm not sure to, trying to pick on Josh. I know there's been um, – this has not been his best season, I'll say that, although – I still believe he's a very talented cornerback. He's a number two cornerback, and I, I think that's okay. But uh, he was caught napping. What it reminded me of, uh, now there's a lot of talk, was the receiver moving? Was he set? You know, I don't know. Uh, it looked like maybe he wasn't. I'm not going to make a big deal over that because Jamison Williams uh, last week caught a touchdown when he wasn't set. And, you know, Alabama's fans didn't make a big deal of that because it wasn't our favor. So I'm not going to make a big deal of that going uh, going against us. Should those things be caught? Yes, they both should have been caught. Was it caught? No. In fact, neither of them were caught. And so for my money, that's a wash. 
It didn't cost us either game, so I'm okay with that. What it reminded me of, though, it reminded me of Devonta Smith, uh, Smitty doing that two years ago against LSU when they were in Tuscaloosa. Derek Stingley, uh, freshman cornerback at the time. I don't know that he's played since his freshman year, but freshman quarterback at the time kept looking to the sidelines, looking to the sidelines for the play, and that's exactly what Josh Job was doing. He was looking at the sideline, looking to the sideline, and – I mean, you want to understand what the play is, but if you're the outside cornerback in one-on-one coverage, like, do you care what anyone else is doing? I don't know. It's a, it's a different question. I mean, you do, but do you? And so uh, what Smitty did is, you know, they they quick hiked because they knew when he was going to look and they knew what sort of the gap is. And you go back and read those articles. I, I remember uh, looking at that, that they knew they had that in their hip pocket. And when they needed, when Alabama needed a quick score, they went to it. And that's exactly what they did. And so that's exactly what happened to Josh Show. He was looking away and then the ball gets snapped and the ball gets thrown over his head. I mean, it's a touchdown. You can't take the points off the board, but is that, is that a systemic, like, man, they, they filleted us on these three touchdowns. No, they didn't. It was not a systemic beatdown on those three touchdowns. Uh, and in fact, not even the, the field goal. Now we can talk and we will talk about the, uh, the block kick, but um, did they, did they fillet us? Did they butcher us on those touchdowns? They absolutely did not. It was a singular call it a singular individual uh, out of position that gave up a big play. What's interesting is, and what will also happen when you watch enough football that uh, there'll be a beaten defensive back and the quarterback won't see him or there'll be a beaten defensive back and the ball will just be thrown poorly. And, and, and what if this had happened for a couple of these plays It's just, Oh, you know, the pressure got to him and he was sacked. And so he wasn't able to complete the pass or the ball was batted down because, because of uh, the pressure or the play was a designed rollout the other way. And, and by the time he got through the progressions, uh, he was third in the progression and, and he wasn't able to get the ball off or he'd made uh, a decision to throw the ball another way or he threw the ball and it was just off the mark. All of these, all of these things happen and they happen in every single ball game. If you watch for them, you don't typically see them unless TV sort of calls it back or you're watching an individual uh, uh, individual play or player and, and, and you catch it. And so now these scored for touchdowns. Um, and so everybody noticed uh, walking around with their pants down, but uh, had any number of other things happen that happen every single week. If we went back and watched the film, we could say that's the same thing that just didn't result in a touchdown. And so, again, I'm not taking points off the board. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying this is just the nature of it. And so Tennessee milked those opportunities with the exception of they were forced to kick a field goal on what should have been the easiest uh, of the touch of the scoring opportunities to, to punch in a touchdown. You could say Tennessee scored 24 of 28 available points. That's pretty darn good. And uh, so I give Tennessee a lot of credit for that. At the same time, it's, this is imminently fixable. We talked about the Texas A&M. That's like, it's a, it is a shit show in here because everybody has made a mess. And if just everyone will just clean up a little bit, then this place will clean up, you know, quickly and nicely. Well, this is the same thing, but on like so much of a smaller scale, because the things that we have to clean up, it's like not a whole lot. Like go get your blanket and you get your shirt and we're good. Go get your toy and and we're good. It's not, we need to spend the afternoon house cleaning. It's, 
on your way to the kitchen, will you pick that glass up and, and put it in the sink? It's that type of cleanup. And so that's what uh, that's where there's a lot of good uh, to see from this Alabama team coming out of the Saturday uh, Saturday game. There's a lot of fans that are just disappointed and upset and da 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 da. But if you had told them uh, at noon on Saturday, hey, you have the opportunity to beat Tennessee 50, uh, 52 to 24, you take it, I'll sign up for that. Uh, so a lot of it's about the journey. How do you get there? And we didn't pound and pummel and, and embarrass them early and just let them score some squeaker touchdowns late. It was actually a competitive game. It was a seven-point game uh, early in the early in the fourth quarter. And so as Alabama fans were like, ooh, this is a level of discomfort that we're not that we haven't had to experience before. Well, you're right. And I felt that too on the couch. But you know what? Now the team has. Now the team has experienced it. Uh, and so they can rally like, oh, I don't like how that felt felt at minute two of the fourth quarter. So why don't we just rattle off 28 points and make it a day? So that's something we could say that the, that the, we can hope that the Alabama team um, is going to embrace. Uh, let's see. I've got a note here. Uh, yeah. All of these uh, touchdowns. I just, my note is uh, all of these are frustrating, but you know, easy to fix. It's frustrating that week eight, damn it. Really? We still have to fix this. But we do, and it is easy to fix. And so, hey, we have seen uh, – what was it just a couple of years ago? We just forget this thing, this stuff sometimes. But it was a couple of years ago. We had Shane Lee and Christian Harris as our uh, middle starting linebackers, both as true freshmen. I'm not mad at either of those guys, but the fact that they started the bulk of the season was the result of injury. And there was no remedy for that. That's what we had. There was no – we're going to rep them a little bit more or, you know, Hey, we're going to coach you out like inside leverage. Right. I mean, come on. That's, there was no, there was, there was no improvement. And we can look at what we saw Saturday and say, well, I mean, I don't like that happened, but there's a lot of uh, improvement opportunity there. So we got to look at it. Uh, we got to look at it that way. And I encourage everyone to uh, let's run through some individual defensive uh, performances that uh, I think stood out to me. A couple notes and thoughts. Uh, Will Anderson, what do we call this? The Will Anderson dispatch, uh, eight tackles, one sack. Watching the game and sort of the influence and impact that he had on the game, I would have thought his numbers were even higher than that because he just has an outsized uh, impact. He's very, very active. One of the things that I really liked, and this is coaching, uh, one of the things that I really liked with Will Anderson is that we're lining up him, lining him up on both sides of the ball. And so we don't want an offensive line to shade, hey, let's go – put our tight end over here every time and we're just going to double team and we're going to try to take Will Anderson out and they can shift in that way because we don't have, you know, we don't have Drew Sanders on the other side, much less, much less uh, Chris Allen. And so, you know, they're going to sort of maneuver to take him out of the game. Well, one of the things you do is you take that weapon that is Will Anderson and you move him around a little bit. And so he lines up sort of that defensive end outside linebacker in both spots, both sides of the ball. And um, I like to I like to see us using him that way. And I think uh, certainly he's been effective and will continue to be more effective because he's not lined up last season. He didn't line up on. Let's see. He lines up uh, defensive left, uh, offensive right. And he did that last season, the entire season. And he's done that this season, nearly almost the entire season until just the last couple of weeks, uh, probably when Drew Sanders uh, went out. He started to experiment uh, on the other side a little bit. And so he's going to get better. So you think about hand in the dirt, attacking from one side, everything is sort of right-handed, 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 uh, or actually, I guess, left-handed. 
um, from a defense standpoint. And so he's been playing left hand, left hand, left hand, and you can put him on the right side. A lot of the fundamentals are the same. It's just now the twitchy is coming from the other side and the attack is to the other side. I think for a defensive end, that's easier than it is for an offensive tackle. Uh, but nonetheless, he's getting more experience on the other side. It will only make him a better player uh, for Alabama, the balance of the season uh, next season as well. Christian Harris uh, is a uh, is a popular whipping boy uh, across the fans, and, and and I don't like that. I think that he's he's very very talented. Um, it's simplifying the defense, I think, helps him, and I don't mean that as ugly as that probably sounds. Uh, but he he tends to always uh, put up pretty decent numbers. He had eight tackles, uh, he had half a sack, and we've seen him. I think less on Saturday. I didn't see it specifically this Saturday, but a week ago. Uh, he's lined up on the outside defensive end spot. And so I like that we're giving him different responsibilities, uh, taking trying to take full advantage of his athleticism. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see uh, good things out of Christian Harris. I think he's he's just a supremely talented uh, and athletic player. So there's, I think the best, I think he still has his football, his best football left, uh, just to be candid with you. Uh, DeMarco Hellams platooned, which we've been calling for. Uh, interesting, he's platooning with Daniel Wright, which isn't a bad thing. They platooned last year. Uh, I just, I was kind of hoping it would be Brian Branch that he was uh, platooning with, uh, but I think there's still some opportunity. But DeMarco is, is continues to be a productive player. So a, a guy for mostly who played just the second half, uh, he had six tackles. Uh, he had been putting up 10, 11, 12 when he plays the full game. So you see sort of the correlation there. He's just as productive. Um, I don't think that I saw uh, a miscue play from Helms. I, I mean, there may have been one, but it didn't stand out uh, like it has before. And it did seem like there was a couple, I want to say head knocking plays, but, you know, those are penalties. Uh, but some, uh, you know, I thought he brought the wood uh, a couple of times. Uh, Phil Mathis, I thought, was active and productive. He had four tackles, which is pretty decent number for an interior guy. He had a sack. Uh, Malachi Moore, his numbers weren't impressive necessarily, but to me, he seemed active. Uh, he needs to get his head up when he tackles. He needs to see what he's tackling. And I say that for the sake of penalties. I say that for the sake of his own health and safety. You don't have to hit them in the head with your helmet. Just, like, body them up real good and just, you know, wrap them up and, and take them down, and and that can be just as just as vicious, uh, and it protects you as much as it does them, and it protects the team because you stay in the game. Had he played Texas A and M, I don't know. Uh, I'd rather have played him, play the game with him, and and uh, see how that goes. I'm not blaming the loss on that. I'm just saying, hey, I'd rather have my best players when we play uh, an opponent that's going to give us a day. But Malachi Moore seemed more uh, – he's had a couple of games. I've said that maybe that was his basket, his worst game uh, in Tuscaloosa. Uh, and I think uh, – I don't wouldn't call this his best by any stretch, but it was a good game. He was active. He was uh, he was out of place a couple times, but uh, he was in place making some plays as well. Uh, Jalen Amar Davis, huge uh, interception, uh, big play for uh, – big play for him. And so pleased to see that Dallas Turner, number 15, he does play that opposite defensive end. We rotate some other players. I saw Justin Aboy be there. I saw LeBron, uh, LeBron Ray uh, getting some reps there. I think all of that's good. I do look forward to getting Drew Sanders back. I wish we could get Chris Allen back. And I say all of that, uh, but I do say that Dallas Turner's improving. He was in on a number of plays Saturday. He's active. Uh, he moves around, and so I enjoyed seeing that. And in fact, I'm giving my mini game ball to Dallas Turner because he just continues to uh, to uh, impress and improve. He's such an athlete and invests so much into his prep 
that I just think he's going to explode. Uh, he's just going to blow up and have a two sack day and, and four, you know, four or five tackles. And it's, and it's like, this guy's been quietly sort of contributing and getting his feet under him and playing. And he has more explosive athletic upside than Drew Sanders does. Uh, I'm not saying that he's going to keep Drew Sanders uh, on the bench, but I think Dallas has within him the ability to like, whoa, we didn't, we haven't seen that. And I think we see that. I think we see evidence of that sort of down the stretch coming out of the bye. If I want to say anything, getting on the coaches, uh, it's not a whole lot. I'm actually seeing some of what I want to see. It's simplify. I think we've got to simplify. And we hear Coach Saban say this, hey, what did you do different in the second and third quarter when you, you know, took the air out of their uh, out of their balloon. Well, we simplified the defense uh, against A&M. What did you do when things, you know, you were able to sort of contain? Well, you know, we simplified the defense. What did you do? How did you beat Ole Miss the way you, well, you know, we simplified the defense. Mississippi State, oh, you know, we simplified the defense. So yeah, to me, that's a trend. Uh, and maybe that's, uh, you know, inf- uh, instructional as well. And so I'd like to see coaching staff uh, simplify just, just a little bit. It's not that the players can't handle it. And I emphasize this. You hear me emphasize this. It's not that the players can't handle the complexity, but it's the pace and it's a like a multiplier effect uh, opportunity for there to, uh, to be uh, out, of, out of alignment. And so, you know, we have, I have no doubt, the perfect 100% call for any play that an offense can run. But, but that's a lot of different schemes and personnel groups and, 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 and multiples. And so to try to call every single one, every time you're not going to do it. And so let's get something that we know works and it's going to be 80% good because we don't have some, I love you. I say this because I love the the saying, we don't have a defense that doesn't cover the tight end, which is more, I use that more of as a, as a representative, as a proxy for the point that I'm trying to make. We know that we play a damn well effective nickel, roll it out there. And, uh, and that will, that will be the right defense 80% of the time because we're so good and so reversible. Now, if they start taking advantage of that, then we can, let's, let's do something there, but let's not try to outsmart the opponent every single play because that will end up working against us. And so that's sort of my mantra uh, around simplify. It seems that I always have like a theme over the course of the season that is just like, pulls my hair in a way that I just have to talk about it every week. And for me, that that's this. And, uh, and I think we have a visual representation of a, when we do the simplification, it works. And so that causes me to double down uh, on the platform, but uh, nonetheless, uh, other things that, that I want to see that I like because we are seeing it uh, is more defensive linemen at the defensive end spot that gives us more beef, more bodies, more size and scale uh, when we're only going to send three or four, uh, it also, because we're at our third player at the position now, uh, I like putting an extra defensive line alignment in there. So when we see a boy B or LeBron Ray uh, out there, I like that because I know that we're doing a couple of things there, a couple of different things there. When we see Christian Harris out there, uh, we've talked before, the expression I like to use is manufacture depth. We are manufacturing depth by putting someone else into the, into that position and, uh, uh, and I like to I like to see that, and we've seen that a number of times uh, this season. And again, that's not a knock on Dallas Turner. It's just like, hey, do we want to give Dallas Turner seventy snaps, or you know, twenty eight or thirty or thirty eight, while we rotate situationally in other players? Well, I'd rather do that until Dallas Turner is more of a known uh, commodity. And again, I would say that about any player, not just Dallas. Uh, platoon of Helms, we've talked about that, and we're seeing that. 
I frankly, I'm a little bit surprised that it's uh, uh, Daniel Wright, but I've always had a soft spot for Daniel Wright, so I think that's fine. They both are prone. Wright and Helms are prone to to making a bonehead play, uh, but they bring something a little bit different to that safety position. Uh, Daniel Wright, I think, is more just pure speed and and plays maybe out of the box better, and uh, or his skill set is better outside of the box. In Helms is just uh, uh, he, he is uh, quite a physical specimen, and so he's more of an inside-the-box player. They both can do both, but they have their strong suits, and so I like that sort of in a platoon. We do this weird thing where we platoon them that way for the first half and then second half, and it seems you would want to do that maybe a little more situationally or a little more, maybe not even within the same drive. Uh, that might be a little much, uh, but drive-by-drive, uh, where's this drive start versus where the other drive start? Uh, keep them both fresh for all the all four quarters. The score, different things like that could uh, contribute. So I'd like to see that a little bit more, but the fact that they're uh, platooning, I like that. Uh, and I mentioned uh, moving Will Anderson around. A big fan of that. Let's get the most out of his capability and make it harder for the opponent to scheme him out of the game. I mean, athletically, it's going to be hard to scheme him out of the game. But if they know he's going to line up in the same place every time, every play, every play, then they can they can build that into the structure of the offense. Uh, we're going to put a tight end over there with the tackle, and we're going to chip with a running back every single play. And but if he moves around, then it's harder to harder to scheme for that. All right, let's talk. Uh, let's talk uh, special teams. Yeah, I think this is the worst uh, worst uh, special team performance that we've seen all season. Uh, we gave away a blocked punt uh, at the Alabama 16. Now, again, we talked about the defense really stepped up uh, because we only allowed a field goal there. You block a punt at the 16, and the momentum and our team being deflated and their team being jacked, that should almost always end up in a touchdown, right? There should be a bylaw somewhere where you get – you know, whatever, that, that that should end up in a touchdown. And so the fact that the Alabama defense really rose to the occasion there didn't allow them a single yard, um, and they had to kick from uh, the 16. That's just darn impressive. But it doesn't hide the fact that, dang it, we gave up a blocked punt, and, um, and that's annoying. It also, uh, if you go listen to their coach's interview or, or read their coach's interview, uh, Heifel said, well, we saw something on film, and uh, and so we, we had something sort of drawn up for it. Well, I mean, everybody looks at film and everybody's drawing up stuff. And so I understand that. But specifically, that's the second time this season where an opposing coach has said on special teams, well, we had something that we saw on film and we ran a play. Oh, and that play worked. And so they saw something with uh, protection and they thought they could block a punt and they blocked a punt. Texas A&M saw something with coverages. Well, if we're running back in the middle of the field, we think we can, well, they ran it back for a touchdown. And so that's twice this season that we've seen a team uh, specifically say, well, we saw something on film and we thought we could take advantage of it. And they did uh, to great success. So got to fix that. Got to fix that. Not mad at any coaches necessarily, but we got to self-scout that stuff. We can't have them. We can't have an opponent finding stuff on film. Uh, that could potentially cost us a game. So that's what I got to say about that. The running into uh, the punter or uh, uh, roughing, it was called roughing the punter. Uh, this is a hair pulling situation. I just want to pull my hair out. I know Saban does. Uh, definitely he was animated on the field. This is a fourth and 23 uh, situation from the opponent, from their 23. So they are kicking out of a hole, just trying to create some separation. 
you could reason why do you go pump block in that situation because you're going to get the ball in a good uh, in a good situation uh, in a good field. So maybe you put on a return. Uh, that's a fair question. Uh, you could also say, hey, we've got him backed up. Let's see if we can't get a, a cheap score here. And I understand that. Yeah, Chris Braswell was called for uh, the rough in the rough in the punter. And I'm going to say I, I'm going to say this right. Um, Chris Braswell, and this is a difference with a distinction. Chris Braswell ran into the punter. Chris Braswell did not rough the punter. What caused it to be roughing, and you can't find this anywhere, and I went back and watched it a couple times uh, on the tape and all the articles and all the the stuff that I've read. I I have not seen anyone uh, even put a name to it. But God bless Rodell Williams. Rodell Williams helped push Braswell into uh, the punter. And that's, I think, I think, for my money, and again, I'm not mad at Rodell any more than it's just, hey, there's a situation here. And I think it's being, you know, misreported or, and it doesn't change the outcome of anything, but it's just, hey, let's get it right. And then that helps us understand how we don't get it wrong next time. I think Braswell probably would have hit the kicker. I do. Watching it back, I think he probably would have hit the kicker, but he had his hands up and and was not trying to, you know, knock him down, not trying to level it. And so would he have, would he have made contact? Yeah, I believe that he would. Would the punter have sort of faked falling down? I mean, maybe, but officials a lot of times see through that. And so it would not have been a physical hit. The physical hit was the extra acceleration that Braswell got from Roy Williams uh, behind him. And so it's a, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It happened, but um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, sort of dynamic how it played out. And I didn't see it reported, so I just wanted to I wanted to share. Uh, go back and watch that play again. Let me know what you think on that. Uh, am I making too big of a deal? Like I said, it doesn't matter. Now, what does matter? Because we shouldn't do that. Uh, you, co- you go across the, their face, uh, across their foot. You try to block the ball. Uh, what does matter is two plays later. Two plays later. We're about to get the ball, fourth and 23rd. What are you going to do? You're going to punt it you know, across the 50. We're going to get it, I mean, 35, 40-yard line is probably kind of where we end up with it. And instead, they keep the ball. And two plays later, they score a 57-yard touchdown. And it's one of the busted coverage plays that we saw where – where we talked about where Jordan Battle sort of sucked up into the box a little bit, and uh, and they toss it over his head on uh, you know on a second down. So that's frustrating that it's such uh, the way that sort of snowballed, and uh, that makes for bad special teams. Uh, we did miss a field goal; it was a fifty-four yarder. I don't feel too upset about that. Uh, there were no punt returns, which is an interesting stat altogether. And I was reading, and, and I, I made a point of writing this down because sometimes people say interesting things, and I wish I could cite them, and and I don't. And uh, Jess over at TideFans.com, he wrote a spectacular post game review. I read it, I read it, and I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't read this because everything you said is what I think and agree with. And so, I, how do I do my podcast without sounding like I'm just reading your content? It's it's so good. Tidefans.com, it's Tennessee Breakdown, phenomenal. And he had just a little nugget that I thought was spectacular. He said, you know, he basically rhetorically asked the question, why was Slade Bolden catching all the punts? And he said, well, and then he answered his own question. He said, the reason Slade Bolden was catching all the punts has a lot to do with how Alabama lets players sort of pick their own numbers and the duplication of numbers. I thought, that's interesting. Where are you going with this? And uh, he said, against Tennessee, Alabama ran a lot of punt safes. Uh, which basically keeps the defense on the field 
uh, and then you put a punt returner back. Well, when you keep your defense on the field, you keep uh, Hank Toa Toa on the field, and Hank is number 10, and JoJo is number 10. And so what you do is you end up leaving your linebacker out there and letting uh, and, and letting Slade, number 18, play the uh, – and so LeBron Ray wouldn't be out there, right? And so in that situation, I can roll out LeBron Ray easier than I can roll out uh, Hank Tua Tua, right? And so that's, uh, that's what you got there. I thought that was very interesting because I did – at a point or two sort of catch myself where, you know, it's a lot of Slade back there. And I'm not mad at him being back there, but, you know, you used to seeing JoJo. So nonetheless, I thought was a, that was an interesting thing. Uh, check out Jess over at Tidefans.com. Really good content. He is must read for me uh, every week. He does uh, some pregame and uh, and then he does a postgame. And uh, that's a must read for me. So go check him out. Uh, James Burnup had two punts. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that it's his fault on the block, on, on the block punt. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It was blocking. There was multiple things that probably contributed. So I'm not going to pin that on him. He had two punts, average 42 and a half. Hey, that's what we've been wanting. So uh, uh, good on you, mate. Will Reichert, we talked about, he had a miss field goal, but he also made one 45 yards, uh, which was nice. And he was seven of seven on PATs. That too uh, is nice. All right, let's wrap this up. Bye week. Next up is our bye week. And so let's just let's just exhale, right? Uh, the team gets a little bit of a, of a break. Uh, as fans, maybe we get uh, a little bit of a break. We can stay in our decks next Saturday, or you know, we can just watch football as a as a, uh, as a fan without sort of having a vested or much less of a vested sort of interest. Maybe we're not traveling. And so uh, let's just uh, let's just enjoy that. Um, taking a week from the pod, taking a sort of a, a week off from the podcast. Air quotes on that. Uh, there's no t- no days off, but uh, during the season, but uh, sort of a little bit of lighter load. I'm gonna tell you, I'm not gonna uh, not gonna balk at that, and uh, we're gonna finish strong uh, down the stretch. But uh, I th- I think what we need to do is is fans is we need to go into this bye week with just an appreciation for what this team is, and this is a really good Alabama squad. They haven't proven that this team is going to win the title. And if you had to bet, you probably would bet that they wouldn't. But I think it's undeniable that the team is capable of. And that is something that we should be proud of and we should be pleased of. It's If we're not, then we're greedy fans and we're wasting the joy that is the Saban era. And I'm not trying to sound like LSU guy where, you know, it's a trip to Greece and and losing seasons is part of the mix. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that this team is really, really good. We've seen a lot of great things from this team, and I'm not going to spend the week where the team doesn't play lamenting that we gave up 24 points to to, to Tennessee because I, I can look at how that game was played and how those those points were scored, and I can say if this team can tighten the screws and get it worked up, this team – is going to be fun to watch down the stretch and capable of winning it all. Capable also of dropping a couple of games. And so, uh, but I'm going to focus on the good. Uh, when I have weeks between, uh, hopefully this is an opportunity for uh, the team to to focus on those issues, any sort of nagging injuries, uh, getting people right. Maybe we see more Trey Sanders coming out of uh, out of the bye. Maybe we see more consistency from the tight ends coming out of the bye. Maybe we see some improvement across the offensive line. 
uh, coming out of the bye. Maybe some of these younger receivers sort of get their heads screwed on right, and uh, we see them make some make some plays. You know, and I went through all of my stuff talking about uh, young receivers, and I didn't talk about Treshawn Holden. And so Treshawn Holden, there's my mini, there's my offensive. I won't, I won't he's my offensive mini game ball. I'm mad at myself for not uh, writing that down. Uh, that dude's good. We're going to talk about him more uh, as we go forward. But number 11 on offense, Treshawn Holden. Kudos, brother. So offense, uh, focus on cleaning this stuff up. Uh, coaches, you know, let's figure out how we get our best defense uh, on the field and get the defense uh, in place for success. I think we're seeing pieces of it. I just want to see it more consistently. And um, I really, really do. It's not some gimmick, you know, for the podcast. I really, really do see two images uh, when I look at this team. And so this bye week, maybe it's art classes, maybe it's colored pencils, but it's something we got to accentuate the picture that we want to see. And that's the team, that's the players, that's the coaches. Let's accentuate the vision of the team that we want to see, and let's see it run down the stretch. And, and, and you know, all bets are off for what this team could be if they're able to use the bye week to do that. So that's certainly uh, what we're rooting for, what we're hoping for, and um, roll tight in that regard. Uh, Zoom winner uh, Andy picked 52-20. to 20. The final score was 52 to 24, so he was right on uh, that Tennessee would score some points and Alabama would score uh, a lot more. So that's phenomenal. And, uh, hey, let's roll into the bye week. Let's win the bye week, fans, teams, coaches, everything. If there's any sort of question or conversations or some of these topics I've sort of poked and prodded, uh, reach out to me uh, if we want to discuss some of that. Uh, absolutely we can, and I would love it. So with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. You know what to do. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.